Well, just as you have been given a gift tonight, um, it turns out that the tradition of this gift giving goes back a very, very long time ago. In fact, I, I would say all the way back to those first Christmases that were ever celebrated, where we're told from distant lands, the Magi came. We often refer to them as three kings. And they came bearing what? Gifts. Absolutely. So we thought that maybe it would be good tonight if maybe we could reimagine that happening just a little bit. And so perhaps it went something a little like this. We are honored tonight to have a king. In fact, not just a king, but often referred to as the king himself. I invite you to put your hands together tonight and welcome the one and the only, the king, Mr. Elvis Presley. Will you welcome him tonight? Come on, you got to welcome Elvis better than that. Thank you, Elvis. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) And then next, this next king is most known for his putter and a iced blended drink of tea and lemonade representing the sports world in the game of golf. He is known as the king. Will you welcome tonight Mr. Arnold Palmer? Will you welcome him tonight? Palmer, Arnold Palmer. All right, and finally, certainly, um, last but not least, I am most excited that this king was able to take time out of his very, very busy schedule to be with us this evening. Um, I really want you to put your hands together, and I want you to welcome the most famous king of ground beef Burger King. Can you welcome him tonight? He is here. He is here. Have it your way. Have it your way. Have it your way at Burger King. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. We can serve your world with Whopper Fresh. Awesome. Awesome. I really appreciate the fact that you guys can have fun. I appreciate that. All right. Maybe those weren't exactly the three kings. And maybe, maybe there were even more than three. I mean, that's one of the questions that people try to raise. And 
I'm not really sure what difference it makes if we know there are more than three or how many we know there are. I, I would say I don't know that I've ever really seen a real king, especially from the Middle Eastern region, that would ever show up at another king's place without a gift. So I tend to lean toward there were three gifts that we know were given. Maybe there were three kings, whatever the case. What I want us to realize tonight is that it took a lot for the Magi to show up. Matthew gives us the story, Jesus has been born, the God of all, humbling himself, putting on skin like one of us, and the news of this king being born is beginning to spread, but not always exactly the way you would expect the news to spread. Not necessarily the the pomp, not necessarily the fanfare, but instead we're told that shining out into the darkness of the night, God placed a star, a star in the sky to point the way to where Jesus would be found. And as the Magi followed that star from those distant lands, they they found themselves having to navigate social, political, religious tensions on their way, right? They, they, They first have to deal with King Herod, who is intimidated by even this this baby, a a king to be born, and and then they have to inquire of the Jewish scribes and the teachers of the law because they don't know the exact location. The, the, The Magi don't have the Old Testament scriptures to tell them where this king would be. We're going to pick it up in verse 9, and this is how the scripture reads. After they had heard the king, that's Herod, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, this is why a lot of people would believe that the Magi weren't necessarily there at Jesus' birth. It refers to a house. It sounds as though it's sometime later. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. These kings have traveled so far. And I want us to understand tonight that I am talking about much more than just distance. Now, around Christmas time, I mean, we almost always tend to hear about the shepherds. We kind of made a big deal out of the shepherds this year as a church, uh, follow the shepherd. And, and the shepherds are certainly a, a major part of the story. They're, they stood, right, keeping watch over their, over their flocks at night. And how incredible that of all the people that the angel choirs would, would, would declare the good news of Jesus' birth to that it would be shepherds because the shepherds were often considered the lowest of the low. So the powerful truth that is presented in that story is how Jesus came, not just for the richest. He didn't come just for the strongest or the most popular, but he came for all. Came for shepherds. Came for me. Came for you. 
Well, the story of the Magi, it proves a similar point, but in a different way. What I mean is the shepherds were Jewish. They're considered the lowest of the low, but they're Jewish, right? Jesus comes to save all types of people, but at least these shepherds, they belong to Israel. They are part of God's people, right? That We read their story all throughout the Old Testament, and, and anybody who would have known their, 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 their Old Testament scripture, including the shepherd, they would have seen this as a fulfillment of the promise that, that God would save his people from their sin. But here's why the Magi showing up is such a big deal. They're not from Israel. They're not Jewish. In fact, everyone would have declared a title of pagan is who they are. They, they lived in a culture that worshipped false gods. They lived in a culture that practiced false religion, namely Zoroastrianism, which we'll, we'll talk about. But it was simply a, they believed in this all-wise being who, who ruled the world, but he relied on the good deeds of people in order to help him. To quote the Hulk, I declare puny God. Because any God who needs people to help him do what he does, but that was a part of their belief. And given the fact that the Magi are, are often referred to as wise men, it is quite possible that they could have been Zoroastrian priests, meaning possibly priests of a false religion. So come on, think about this for a little bit. It's one thing for somebody who has no status, like shepherds, to come to Jesus. But how much of a wild twist of the story is this, that God would invite leaders of a false religion? Like, would God really ever call a Muslim imam to himself? How about a Buddhist monk or an atheist humanist chaplain? Is God truly for all, even those who are diametrically opposed to him? This is the story of the Magi. And what is truly shocking is not just the lengths to which these magis go to get to where Jesus is, but the absolutely, truly shocking part of this story is what lengths God would go to get to them. Because this started a long time before God placed a star in the sky. I'm submitting to you tonight that I think it started with a promise that God made centuries and centuries and centuries before. So let me, let me explain just a little bit of what I think could possibly be going on here. Zoroastrianism, this false religion, was birthed as a part of the Middle East where the Persian Empire reigned. 
Now, somewhere along the way, you had to pass some history test in school where you at least had to learn how to spell the Medes and the Persians. Anybody remember? Medes and the Persians. Somewhere along the line, you had to put them on a test, right? They represented an empire, but, but you know that previous to them, they actually captured another superpower nation in the region known as Babylon. And Babylon, long before the birth of Jesus, was the nation that God allowed to decimate and take his people into captivity. That's the story we read in the Old Testament. And so while Babylon is in captivity, or while Israel is in Babylonian captivity, God, through his prophet Jeremiah, spoke some incredible words to them. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29. I want you to hear a little bit of what God said a long, long time ago. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, he says, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So they're, they're not, they're, they're, they've, they've been taken. He's saying, I'm gonna bring you back. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I'm saying I don't know that there could have been more assuring words that God could have spoken at such a heartbreaking time in the lives of his people. But a God who is promising, one day I'm going to bring you back. And not only am I going to bring you back to this homeland, right, that I have given you, that my heart toward you is always for your ultimate good. And so trace this out for a little bit. God made that promise to Israel when they were in captivity where? Babylon. And then eventually, they became captives of the Medes and the Persians. And then eventually, Israel is restored back home. But don't you know, don't you know that in those kinds of situations, stories are told, and they're retold, and they're retold, and they're retold. And and so for Israel, the question is like, like when is God going to deliver them back? And, and, and when is God going to make good on his promise? And not just the promise to bring them back home, but the promise of verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so centuries later, when Israel is back home, just like God promised, you wonder how those stories continued to be told in the places in which they had been, particularly in a part of the world where Zoroastrianism was born. And is it possible that a God, our God, would put a star in the sky A star in the sky that the Zoroastrianists, right, that that they're paying attention to the heavens. And is it possible 
that there is some part of what stirred inside of them is a remembering of the story of a God that when those people were in your land and God had promised to bring them back home, but he also promised that if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart, is he still willing to be found? I wonder if it's their question. If we seek him with all our heart. And it's the question we're asking tonight. Is God still willing today to be found? When we seek him with all our heart. No matter how far away from him you might be. No matter how much distance you have traveled in the opposite direction, no matter what situation you find yourself in this evening, no matter what the wrong things that you could list that you have done, no matter if even up until now with every fiber of your being, you have opposed God with your life. Like even then, Is God willing for you to find him? And the story of the Magi emphatically screams, yes. Yes. And when you seek him, you find him. How is it that God could promise this? It's because of how far he, God, would go to be found by us. And that's what we're celebrating tonight. And really, the story, I believe, in part can be told in the three gifts that we're giving. There there is incredible symbolism there, I believe. Uh, We are told that they brought gifts of, of, well, let's just read it, right? I think we've got it. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. We know that gold, it represents the place from which Jesus came. Yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but don't be mistaken, the Son of God always has been. And even the story that we have, we have right, looked at over and over this year, the picture of humility that God himself would put on skin, but he left glory, streets of gold, that he might come to be with us. And then there's frankincense. Frankincense is about a a, a sweet smelling uh, when it's burned, often used in sacrifice, and therefore it represents something that is appeasing to God, that when those sacrifices are made, it is a sweet smell to him. And it, it, it represents Jesus' life that was fully acceptable to God, what you and I could never pull off. He, he absolutely did perfectly. Why? So that one day he could lay down his life as a sweet-smelling sacrifice on the altar of a cross for us. And then myrrh. Myrrh is often um, the spice that is used in burial. And that is the story of 
a Jesus who goes this far that the Lord of life himself would allow his own breath to be taken, that he would die for us for one reason, to prove how far he would go to get to us. Because all of us, without him, the Bible says we are dead in our sin. It is what happens when we sin, and we all have. There are none of us who are perfect. We all have failed. We all have rebelled against God, and there is a a death in our relationships, including with God, a, a division, a conflict. We deal with bitterness and resentment, even in the best of relationships that we have. We die in these bodies where they succumb to, to sickness and right, arthritis and memory loss, and we die in our souls where there is a void and a search where we know there must be more There must be a God, but can we find him? All this death, and what does Jesus do? He showed us just how far he would go. When he enters into our death, he dies. But that's not where the story ends. Because after the sacrificial death of Jesus on a cross, And then a burial. Luke 24 picks up the story. It reads like this in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices. You know what they would often take? Myrrh. They took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. You see, we who know this Jesus cannot simply celebrate a birth without celebrating an entire story of a birth and a death and a life again. The death could not hold him, a grave that could not keep him, but a Jesus who was willing to go the distance all the way down to the very depths of death itself so that all of us who were dead can now seek him and find him because there is no place that you can ever go that is too far for our God not to bring us back. He is the God who keeps his promise. He is the God who travels every length imaginable. He is the greatest gift giver because he gave himself. My question tonight is, have you ever received this gift? Have you come to find this Jesus? Have you seen the one who left heaven, lived among us, died and rose again who longs for you to find him and find life. Do we deserve it? No. 
Can we earn it? No. We will never be good enough. But a faith in Jesus who is good enough makes us good with God. So how do you do that? The Bible says it's a turning. A turning of your heart and your life to Jesus. And a trusting in him. Not just a mental assent that these are facts, but a trusting of your life to say, Jesus, I need you. I cannot do this on my own. Jesus, I I have sinned against. I am asking that you would forgive me. I am asking that you would take control of me. I am asking that you would fill me with your presence. And I want to be yours forever. You know what? I'm just going to ask us to maybe just bow for just a second before him. And I want to give an opportunity tonight for anybody who has never come to him, never found Jesus. I want you to know that he's here. And when you seek him, you'll find him when you seek him with all your heart. If you don't know where to start, I'm just going to pray something in the next second that is something that you can pray. It is not about magic words. It's about your heart that leans into him. You can simply, from your heart to his, say to him something like this. Jesus, I need you. I have sinned. And I am sorry. And I am asking you to forgive me. I believe that you died for me and that you rose from the dead. I believe that you bring forgiveness and life. And I'm asking you for forgiveness and life. I want to follow you. Will you fill me with your presence? I want to be yours now and forever. Amen. And I'm telling you, when you seek him with all your heart, you find him. If you did that, maybe for the first time, Tonight, I want to encourage you um, that we want to help you take next steps. And beginning next Sunday, January 1st, we're going to take some next steps. What does that look like to follow Jesus? I want to invite you back next week, next Sunday, um, wherever you may be watching us from, wherever you may be joining us from. I want to encourage you next week to join with us as we take next steps with him. For those of you who have received this gift of Jesus, you know just how good Jesus is. And you know that there is nothing more fulfilling in your life than the purpose that he has given you to introduce others to him. So, I'm going to go back to where we started tonight. 
And I'm going to take you back to the gift cards that hopefully everybody here, we want you to have one on your way out. But we want to go a little further than that. Not only do we want every person here to be able to have one of these, but we also want to extend the invitation tonight that maybe every household, some of you are going from here to gatherings with your families, to gatherings with friends. Maybe you're going to do that tomorrow. You're going to be in a big gathering. We want to extend an invitation tonight that you could also pick up another, let's say as many as five per household, and take them to your families, take them to your gatherings, not a bad stocking stuffer, um, or maybe it's just a hand to them that says, I truly love you and care about you, and I just want you to have this and listen. Why would we do that? We would do that because at the first Christmas, God gave the light of a star to lead them to the light of the world, who was Jesus. But now, God has made you to be the stars. We actually learned that in our study of Philippians this year, that we who follow Jesus, when he fills our life and begins to work within us, he changes us, <laughs> starts to transform what our hearts look like, starts to change attitudes and actions and everything about us so that when we live in a world full of brokenness and arguing and tension that we instead can be a people who live with joy and gratitude. And what the scripture said in Philippians chapter 2 was these words, then you will shine like stars in the sky. That's what he said. In other words, we are to be the stars in a dark world that point now people to the light of the world who is Jesus. So, as the light multiplies across this room, we're going to sing one more song together. And tonight, I want you to let the light of these candles remind us of our great purpose, which is to pass along the greatest gift the world has ever known. His name is Jesus. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.